Back to another episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden, sitting here with my two boys, uh, Mike and Raf. How are you doing there, Mike? What's going on, Mellon? How's it going, man? Pretty good. It's a uh, nice Friday and have some family in town. My older brother's visiting, and uh, we're going to go. Actually, another brother's coming in with uh, with his kids and everybody, so we're going to go out and have a good time. It's good to see that uh, at least one of the boys got hit with the good-looking branch of the tree as I fell out, unlike you. You're sorry, but how you doing there, Raf? I'm good. I'm pretty good, mate. How you doing, man? I'm just out here in the stand doing the thing. Oh, we had a lovely day here. Uh, one of the boys in the rugby team had a birthday party, so we're down in the lagoon pool in the sun. It's not all bad. It's not all bad, peeps, when we're all together. Well, it is bad right, so- you're out there, obviously. Uh, you got a little bit too much sun, and uh, I'm not letting you walk away with that insult. So uh, if we're talking about ugly sticks, I mean, you just uh, did a header down, a, down the damn tree. So <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, it's the size of the head. It's not just the unattractiveness of it. That's what she said. So uh, here we are, guys. We're, we're doing a bit of a, an off-topic, sort of uh, not, not aligned exactly what we've been doing recently. But a bit of a chat. And we've been quoting a few uh, passages to each other offline from uh, books that have made a big impact on, on us. And, and some of them made it onto the podcast as well. And so today's topic, as you probably saw in the show notes, was... What's the book that has given you the most influential takeaways? The thing that's uh, the book that's impacted you the most. And so, kicking off today, we're going to start with Mike. Mike, what book has had the most impact on you? So, I read this one about a couple, like maybe two years ago, but I've reread it in the last month or so. Just pieces going through, and and it's always good to go back and review. Um, the one that I picked was by Tony Dungy, and it's called Quiet Strength. So just a little background, I've talked about him a little bit in another episode, but um, Tony Dungy was a uh, former player, was a cornerback with the Pittsburgh Steelers and won a uh, Super Bowl with them as a player. And then he became a coach and became a coach for the Indianapolis Colts, Coach Peyton Manning, one of the greatest minds. Um, That'll come into play here in a minute. But uh, and then he also won a Super Bowl as a coach. A little fun fact. Um, He's one of only 12 NFL coaches who have won a Super Bowl as both a coach and a player. So it's a pretty rare accomplishment. A couple things it talks about through there, um, and I'll I'll touch on some of these, but he really talks about being uh, a really good leader and what it takes to be a leader as a player but also as a coach. So as a younger guy and then maybe when you get older in life or in the business realm of being a new employee versus being a manager. Um, he also talks about buy-in. Um, so what's the mission? What's the goal? How do you get people to buy in and commit a hundred percent? Uh, talks about humbleness. So obviously a career like that is going to bring you a lot of attention and, uh, obviously you can get overcrowded with that, but at the same time, it's just like, how do you maintain, uh, you know, being humble and, and still move on as yourself and maintain. Uh, and then the last part it talks about is kind of, uh, it's all going to end in one way or another. So I'll kind of go through these and, uh, you know, talk about some of the points that he brings up, some really good quotes from uh, some of the former players from himself, and then also a really great uh, Steelers coach named Coach Chuck Knoll, 
who was uh, he won four Super Bowls back in the '70s and early '80s with the Steelers. Um, he actually one of the few coaches that won back-to-back Super Bowls twice. Um, so first part is just you know leadership, and you know you coming in. So coming in as a player. Um, for me, I related to being a new guy at, at a team, you know, what's, what's my attitude coming in. And he talks about, you know, you're kind of like a sponge. You got to come in as a fresh sponge and sponges don't talk, but they absorb. So coming in and acting like you know, everything and having an attitude isn't always the greatest point. Um, but you should still be confident, but you should be open to listen to the people that have been doing this job for a lot longer than you have take away their points. We talked about mentors, maybe finding, identifying a mentor and being able to pull those guys in, pick their brain. And you want to fill your sponge with, you know, I'll say like clean water, not dirty water, right? You don't want to crowd up things or anything. So, um, good leadership, you know, coming in, you can be a leader as a new guy and be a good example. Um, but then also when you switch to the manager part, which is more of where I'm at now in my career is that manager piece. So how am I teaching guys? How am I maintaining guys? How do I communicate to them? How do I run my, my team? Um, really talks about, uh, you know, kind of go into the buy-in piece. So we have a mission, we have a goal. Uh, I'm an instructor right now. So it's like, Hey, my, my goal is to get you guys from this level to this level. How do I get you there? How do I convince you that your time and your pain and everything you're putting into it is, is worth it. Um, one of the things that coach Chuck Knoll said was if you want to win, all right. And that's highlighted. If you want to win, do the ordinary things better than anyone else does day in and day out. So I really broke that down and think about it. You know, you get into the basic level of anything, of any job, of anything, you're, you're brand new. If you want to get to the best top level of that. Um, so for me, again, in my job, I'm at a pretty high elite level. I didn't get here by getting fairy dust sprinkled on me. I didn't just show up and somebody's like, Oh, Hey, here's some, here's, here's a piece of kit or, you know, whatever that's going to just make you this person. It's literally mastering the basics of everything that you do from the most, like the beginning job all the way to the top. For me as a brand new guy, that was showing up on time with the right gear, with the right attitude, staying 15 minutes late or showing up 15 minutes early every single day. And that was it. The basics. If you can do the little things and I can trust you doing the little things, then, hey, maybe you're ready for the big things, right? Because if, t- if I can't trust you to stay late and have some integrity and be like, hey, I'm going to take out the trash, how am I expected to trust you going into a building with barricaded shooters at night, it's pitch black, can I trust you to go left when I'm going right or am I going to get shot in the back? You know, it, it correlates. There's so many different uh, – you know, there's so much lineage there. It, it's, it's really crazy. So, uh, I really, I really like that. And then, um, you know, success is, uh, he also, uh, one of the other coaches, success is uncommon and not to be enjoyed by the common man. I'm looking for uncommon people because we want to be successful, not average. So to me, you really break it again, you break it down. Like how much victory do you have every single day? What do you consider victory? Right. 
does it correlate with your goal? Does it correlate with your job? You know, is it money that drives you? Is, hey, I made $100 today. Hey, I made $1,000. Hey, I, uh, I got this many orders in today or we accomplished this mission today, like whatever it might be. Um, just realize success, when it does show its face, it should be celebrated. It should be, it should be enjoyed, but also for the moment, like really live for the moment, but success doesn't last because it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end, it's going to restart, and then you're going to have to start back at the basics and maintain everything that you've got to to that point. Uh, see. You know, it, hey, Mike, if I could just interject, just because of what you just said, it reminded me, I recently watched, when I was in quarantine, I watched a, a documentary on the, um, the, uh, the depression that a lot of um, – high, you know, tier one athletes in the Olympics actually face at the end of the Olympics, you know, so they've, they've worked their entire lives to, to reach this pinnacle of perfection, whatever the sport is, right? Um, swimming, triathlon, triathlon, triathletes, uh, whatever sport, you know, boxing, and they really, it's across the spectrum. Every single one of these athletes, whenever they reach that pinnacle, and then the, the limelight was over, almost every single one of them fell into depression because they've dedicated so many years to this, to this one moment, right? Whether it's minutes, whether it's hours or whatever. Uh, and just like you said, you should celebrate it, but just know that it's not the end all be all. And that's what all of them were just like, you know, they all basically said, you know, you get to this point, you're being celebrated. And then literally the cameras go away, the people go away, and you're left there by yourself asking yourself, was this all worth it? And also, why did I do this? And what's my new purpose? So I think that's, that's um, anyways, you just triggered that in my head by, by talking about that. Yeah, a similar one I've seen, uh, that, just that, that piece there about celebrating the victory and then getting back to basics. There's, there's a huge amount of truth in that, in uh, all the things that we have done. In sport, you see it in sport. And uh, I've seen it in business, People talk about like you're not you're not you're uh, you're only as good as your last sale, and it's like no, well no you're not. You're only as good as your next one. Like the last one doesn't count for anything. You know it's done. Let's get on with it. And there's some really good stuff you had in there, uh, Mike, around those daily disciplines, the the little pieces, those ordinary things done well or done to a level of excellence are the things that are going to get you through. And uh, most of the time we we all know what they are, and they're simple but they're hard to do at an excellent level. So I reckon there's a lot of truth in that. No, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, these are really good deep points about it. Uh, it and it, and it kind of goes again, flows right into this, uh, this next piece that I got. There's, there's a quote. I, I, I don't know who said it, but I really like it. I've kind of held it onto since I was a sea cadet, like as a kid that I heard it, but the man, the uniform doesn't make the man, the man makes the uniform. And I really love that because I see it literally like on a daily basis. So when you meet somebody that's successful or, you know, whether it be somebody in the spotlight, you know, like a, a professional athlete or a politician or like whatever you want to call it, their title automatically gets them the attention. But then how many people have you known like that where you take 10 minutes and get to know them? And you're like, you're a terrible person. Like I could care less what your title is. Like I don't want to be around you, you know? Um, it kind of ruins that aura around them it, that, you know, that, that per perspective, I guess, of them. Um, so some of the greatest leaders and people that I know in my life, 
that are successful or have really gone on to do great things, uh, they're not the guys with the flashy uniforms. They're not the guys that are walking around and living in the limelight and being like, hey, guess what I did today? It's, it's nothing like that. These guys are humble. They know where they came from. They know that, hey, I'm just here doing the basics, and I'm doing the basics really well. They're not anybody special, and they just love and have a passion for what they do. Uh, and that defines their title. You know, I think in society today, they, they got it completely backwards. You know, it's like you see somebody walking down the street. Oh, my God, look who it is. It's so-and-so. It's just like, well, I know so-and-so, and he's a complete idiot. You know, he's not that great. But then you see the other guy walking down the street, and you're like, that's a, that's a solid dude. That's a good dude. You know, he, he's humble. He, he, that's a real man, you know. So I really like that piece. I don't know if you guys got any examples of that. In the, in the flying world, I know that um, a lot of the really, really good pilots don't ever talk up what they're doing and they seem to have a heap of time and they're just, all they're doing is the basic stuff to a high, like to a super high level of excellence, hitting the basics exactly as you teach a guy on the first day and, and being an instructor. And you fly with these guys. I know Rafford said too, like you jump in an aircraft and go fly with one of your mates and you can see the guys who are at that next level and they're often super quiet, super humble, you never hear a word out of them about, about work when they're not at work. And uh, they're hitting those high peak, peak performance type stuff. So I see that all the time. Ralph, you, you got any examples? I mean, just, just, I would just underscore what Mellon said. I mean, there's absolutely true in aviation. Um, I would say the basics is what keeps you alive. Um, if you master the basics, I mean, honestly, that's what we would focus in the Blackhawk world. You know, you focus on contingencies because there's a million what ifs, right? You go down range, there's literally a million what ifs, you know, you can't plan for every LZ the perfect way, but if you train and train and train consistently, keep training the, the, uh, the basics and, and the contingencies, then you could literally face anything. You lose an engine, okay, so what? Get back to the basics, keep flying the aircraft. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, I've seen it over and over again, and, and kind of like what Mellon said, you, you would fly with guys that were pretty extraordinary. And the, luckily, fortunately for me, most of the extraordinary aviators that I flew with were willing to teach. Almost all of them were always willing to teach, you know, and they were never condescending. They were just like, hey, I see what you did there was really good. Let me just show you a technique that I've learned or, you know, let me break it down. And this is why we do this, right? They actually, they define the fundamental behind why we do something. And you're, that's when the light comes on. You're like, oh, you know, I went from rope memorization to I thought I understand it to now it's, there's like the science behind it. And that's yeah. when, uh, you know, now, and now you just became better. And now you're going to, you know, you're influencing those small little circles, but eventually you start to influence the masses uh, in your little circle. So um, it's, it's very effective, man. Yeah. And realizing where you're, where you're actually at versus where you want to be is a very, you know, you got to be honest with yourself about that. You can't lie to yourself. And especially if you're responsible for a team, you need to hold them to that same standard and be like, I know where we want to be, but Hey, we're not there yet, you know, and that's okay. Cause now you have a starting point. Um, the last point of this is, uh, he really gets into it for a whole chapter, but knowing it will end. Right. That's, that's the name of the, the one chapter in there going from his very successful career as a Steeler, as a Super Bowl champion, you know, as a player, as a coach, 
coaching Peyton Manning and all the success, their success that like they had together and then being in the limelight for years and millions of dollars and sponsors and, you know, whatever we want is like weekly basis of being that he gets into, okay, once that ends, are you going to be three things? Are you going to be distraught? Are you going to be content or are you going to be satisfied? And, you know, to really think about those things. So again, I ask myself that, you know, I get attention for what I do and honestly, I don't like it because it's, 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 it's a job to me. It, it, I, I go to work every day. I work for a living. I get a paycheck like everybody else. I'm not special. Um, and that's, that's fine. I love it. Um, when it's over, it's over. And I've already seen guys that have gotten off out of this job and that train's going a thousand miles an hour and it's gone. Like once you're off, you're off. Raph, you probably already know, man. I mean, you're retired and you know, you're out of the army and you could already see like, dude, like the train's gone. Like it's time to move on. There's other things. But the biggest point that he, that he talks about of those three things is when you wake up, are you still just yourself in the morning? You know, it's like, yeah, that's, that's what I did. It's not who I was. And, uh, I just really love how he correlated all that together. Um, so it's really given me perspective that this, this, this job, this title could end tomorrow, you know, hope to God not by like injury or worse, or it could end right on the time where I'm planning on it, you know, in six, seven years when I can retire and I can go out and have a nice little family gathering and retire and then just fade off into glory, you know, and just hunt and fish the rest of my life. Um, so hopefully that happens, but either way, you know, you live every day to the, to the max extent, you learn what you can, you enjoy it because you don't know how long it's going to last. And for me, I want to be one of those guys that's satisfied when I walk away, not what it could have, should have, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. That kind of reminds me. So Gabrielle Reese is a, you know, she was, she's married to Laird Hamilton, who's a big wave surfer and she played professional volleyball and was standout at Florida state. And I don't even know where else she, uh, she was, you know, I think she made the Olympics. I mean, she was, a, a, she was a savage in her era. And uh, just, I was listening to her talk one day and she, she just mentioned how one day, somebody had said, Hey, you're that volleyball chick. And she just stopped and she thought, no, I'm Gabby who happened to play volleyball. You know, just, it's just that quick, like it, that one thing didn't define her. She's like, no, I'm, I'm Gabby that happened to play, you know, at that, the highest possible level. But it's, it's kind of what you're saying. I mean, it's that one title shouldn't define you. I've seen that a lot, Raph, with uh, pilots where the identity is really tied up in your profession. You know, and that's sort of the first piece when you ask someone about themselves, often that'll be one of the really early things that comes out. You know, that occupation as a, it, like, don't confuse your your identity with your occupation. I reckon that's really good, Mike. Thanks, yeah. man. That actually reminds me, that's that's a running joke in our house with Aubrey. You know, I'll be like, not a big deal. I'm a pilot. She's like, I literally don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's because she's it looking at your catchy beard. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if we just both start laughing, she's like, literally, I've been over it since I've met you. <laughs> <laughs> In our family, there's a one-liner and it's everybody. And it's either everybody wants to be a pilot or everyone wants to marry a pilot. It's a one-line joke. Yeah. In family. All right, good one, Mike. So some really good stuff there out of uh, Quiet Strength by Tony Dungy. So uh, the piece about the, the leadership. So starting as a sponge and then transitioning into the teaching slash, slash communication part, getting the, uh, the time and effort, is it worth it? So the buy-in and maintaining your humility 
the mortality piece about knowing it's going to end and uh, are you going to finish distraught container so swipe? Really good pieces. All right, so uh, on to me. Uh, my uh, impactful book is uh, it's two books by uh, Stephen R. Covey, a great uh, educator and uh, a thought leader in the business world and many others. He had two books. One was called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which was uh, 1989, and he followed up with The Eighth Habit in uh, 2004. And between the two of them, there are over 30 million sales. It's a hugely uh, influential um, piece of work he's got there. And I read the first one while I was applying to join the uh, Australian Air Force. And it really helped me sort of get things straight in my mind. And he has these uh, true north principles. So he identifies in the modern world that there's a, a, it's like a personality ethic, you know, like the famous guy mimic this and it's all sort of hot air and, and get ahead, fake it till you make it. And he's like, that does not ever work. It never yields results over time. And he's got this universal character ethic that you need to really do the work, take the actions and uh, start with yourself. So he's got his seven habits there and uh, you, you transition from dependence to interdependence and then the highest level is interdependence. So when you're in a, a dependence mentality, it's someone else is responsible. So you're a child, everyone starts, so your parents are responsible and that's fine, but you should be moving into an independence mentality, which is I'm responsible. But you, we all know people who maintain that someone else is responsible even in adulthood and uh, it's not a pretty look. So the independence piece is around, uh, it's got a couple of habits here of being proactive. So begin with the end of mind and uh, put first things first. And then you're going to, once you're independent, now you sort of, at least you can look after yourself. And the second step is to transition into interdependence, which is a we type thought rather than I type thought. So at that level, you're working on cooperating, leading, you know, any team you've ever been in, a marriage, a family. And so the pieces here are around win-win. So making sure that everyone's getting ahead together. You're not having a, a short-term uh, win at someone else's expense. He's got uh, his fifth habit is seek first to understand and then to be understood, which is very powerful. If you're having an argument, try and uh, say the other person's piece back to them before you get your own piece out. And you'd be amazed at how much you can defuse a situation where, you know, you've been able to state someone's piece back fully to them. And I've never seen anyone do it better than Jordan uh, Peterson in a debate with Sam Harris. And he did like a, a five-minute summary of Sam Harris's piece. And Sam Harris, when he finished, was like, you need to write my next book for me. And uh, <laughs> habit, habit six is uh, synergize. And that's where you, you, you're drawing out stuff from a team. And, you, you know, it's the one plus one equals three type mentality. And then the seventh habit in the first book is sharpen the saw. And that is, you know, keep learning, go back to the basics, uh, never stop. So that's, that is his seven habits. So transitioning from dependence of someone else is responsible, independence is I and interdependence is we. And he talks a lot about this abundance versus scarcity mentality. He was the one who came that phrase that in, in an abundance mentality, <clears throat> we can generate more together. We can find new assets, we can build stuff together in a scarcity. It's a competition for resources. That's a rat race. And he very much is pushing that abundance mentality. <clears throat> Stephen Covey has the uh, circle of influence and circle of concern I've talked about before where you have 
all the things in the world that impact you are inside the circle of concern and the things that you can impact and control are inside the circle of influence. And that is a smaller circle inside it. And wherever your attention is, is going to grow. So if you're one of these people worrying about the taxes or the government or the weather or your boss or your parents, whatever it is, whinging about it, that circle of concern, just the only way it can grow is by shrinking your circle of influence. So he's very big on having a chosen response to circumstances dictate the outcome, not the circumstances themselves, because we can't control it. So seven habits. I read it when I was um, applying for the Australian Air Force, and it really got me in a very strong frame of mind to go through all that whole process. And now Raph knows that that's long, and I'm, I'm sure it was the same for Mike in his, his special forces selection. Then uh, the sec. Anyone? Any comments on those ones, lads? Yeah. Did uh, Did you actually read it in the Air Force, or did somebody have to read it to you? <laughs> that's rich that's rich coming from you mike i know you prefer the books with pictures in them i i do they're a lot better i especially when i get to color them uh, it just you know i drew the frog blue because i wanted to see a blue frog i mean what's wrong with that innovation <laughs> innovation is very important as well on this topic so uh you know anyhow, Karen, you know that 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 seven habits, um, those seven habits for success, were, I'm sorry what I've, if I misquoted the title, um, it's kind of like one of those classics like the, from the Carnegie Institute, How to Win and Influence People, was it 90 Seconds? Have you read that? Win friends, I have, yeah, Dal Carnegie. Yeah, yeah. so I, I read that and uh, I read it during my second deployment and I was on my, on my, I was on my way to meet Aubrey in South America and I had a... Uh, the charter was dropping me off in Atlanta and I was on my way to, uh, to, to Chile and uh, sorry, sorry, Mike, Chile. And um, anyways, I, I literally just, I, it's such a quick read. It's like a hundred pages. So I read it. And when I landed, I was, so I was armed with all this information and I actually started trying some of the techniques and tactics in the book. And I started noticing that whenever I would adjust my hands or I'd smile, the person I was talking to, and complete strangers, I was basically just like using them as my lab rats. And it, I'm not exaggerating when I say it absolutely works. If you change your physiology through your mentality, it, it, it's difficult not to manifest on the people that are around you, especially if they're engaged with you. And I thought that was pretty fascinating. So that I was tossing up actually between... Go ahead, Noel. I was, toss, I was tossing up between uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Influence and Influence People, which I actually read before I joined the Australian Army when I was going through that process, and this one, Stephen Covey. Seven. There's a reason these books are selling tens of millions of copies, and there's some truths in there. And these, we're not talking about people who just got out of bed. These are mature senior uh, thought leaders who, in the tail end of their career, really put some coherent and well-structured stuff down on paper. Go ahead, Mike. No, that's all right. You just stole my point. Just keep talking. Yeah, right. <laughs> so then in, uh, in 2004, I was uh, deployed, Gulf War II, and uh, one of my buddies starts talking to me in the chow hall. Shout out to Adam Dog Robinson, still in the Australian Air Force. And uh, Stephen Covey had released another book, and it was The Eighth Habit uh, from Effectiveness to Greatness. And this is a guy who had a, he had a big company, uh, Covey Franklin, uh, big education company, training and uh, consulting and so on, getting into companies and making a difference. And they put the resources of this thing together. It was, I think, for a period of years to put this book out. And like every single sentence had, gone, had been gone over with a fine comb. And the eighth habit is uh, how to find your voice and inspire other people to find theirs. 
And in that, he's got this breakdown of the, the four parts of uh, every human of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, and that you need to be working in each of these four areas. And so in the physical, uh, it's to live. And, and when you're doing well there, you've got discipline. In the mental, it's to learn. And when you're doing well there, you've got vision. In the emotional, it's to love. And when you're doing well there, you've got passion. And in the spiritual, it's to leave a legacy. And when doing well there, you've got your conscience. And so if you think of these four circles and you're looking for the area where the four overlap, and that is the area in the world where you're going to have you know, a job that generates an income for you, that's your physical. You're going to have be stimulated mentally. You're going to have passion for what you're doing and you're going to believe in what you're doing. And that is the definition of the eighth habit. And it's a very powerful place for anyone to find themselves. It could be in a family situation, in a team, in an organization, a volunteer, or it could be a uh, like a corporation or a military mission and huge power in that. And he has this big definition about, uh, we all know Pavlov's dog, the, the bell rings and the dog gets food. And over time you get that stimulus response, the bell rings and the dog, the dog salivates without the food being there. And he draws a distinction with that stimulus response, which is an animal that a human has the option to choose our response, the ability to choose a response, which is responsibility. And so the awareness of a gap between the stimulus and a response, all of a sudden you can, you know, someone cuts you off in traffic rather than immediately getting on the horn or cursing out. And awareness of that gap, you can just sort of have a, a breath and you can see four or five options. And this comes up like, you know, having a, a negative interaction with someone at work or an argument with a partner. And just that one second pause and ability to take a breath and, uh, you know, all these various options can appear to you that you weren't, you weren't aware, aware of before. And so his, his definition there of the humanity lies in the awareness of the gap between the stimulus and the response. Go ahead, Mike. So you can do that or just do complete opposite on what Raf did by getting off the plane and giving everybody the finger in Chile and be like, wow, this really does work. Like you just- <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't even, think the, I don't think the, I don't think the fingers offensive in Chile. I don't remember. <laughs> Anyways, but you know, speaking about that, um, going back to what Melon said, actually, the the biggest because um, I, I I've actually kind of experienced some of that where I'm trying to make that um, what do you call like that smart decision, right? I don't want to just have the immediate defaulted response. And what's always helped me is. Um, just understanding that the purpose, like, and a quick example would be, you know, trying to clean up my nutrition or trying to just be better with, with my nutrition. And of course, just like anybody else, if I walk by a table full of cookies, my instinct is I want to grab a fistful of those. But if you just think about the purpose behind why you're not going to eat the cookie, generally that's enough for me to be like, nah, I'm good without the cookie, right? Even though my instinct is I want that damn cookie. But if you, if you genuinely just by being healthier, I'm going to be a better father for, for Soren, obviously a better husband for, for Aubrey. I'm, I'm a better use to society by, you know, being, being fit, not being sick and being a useful, useful male to push back against the chaos. But uh, yeah, and it's just, like, all I'm trying to, yeah, go ahead. Any, any of those negative decisions are normally rapid, like a rapid response normally is like it sets up a downward spiral. There's some sort of an interaction between you and another person that's gone downhill. Nearly always there's been something's happened and you've snapped and something quick has come out. And if you can just have that second, you know, you can see other, as you just said there, like the purpose or the mission or the, 
the overarching thing you're trying to achieve. You know, how many times we step on the toe that's attached to the, to the leg, that, you know, the person that's going to give you the kick in the butt tomorrow and you've, you've burned a bridge with a rapid response with someone in the short term and, uh, you know, you've burned a bridge there and, and that person could have been the person to help you out on the flip side. Well, it goes back to it too, remembering, you know, you're in that, you're in that moment but at the same time, it's just, you know, you go back to the saying of calm breeds calm because you're thinking about yourself in that moment. But what you got to remember is that you're always surrounded by other people who are watching you, right? Especially if you're a leader or just, just in general, you have some type of responsibility. Like Melon said, now you have a responsibility. People are looking to you to be the example. And if you're freaking out and, you know, letting the emotion roll you and stuff, then you're like, well, that's how you're supposed to handle it. Okay. Or, you can revert back to that calm breeds calm where you're taking that moment and thinking logically. I read that little piece from uh, Pauline a couple of weeks ago where she was talking about taking the huddle, you know, the half partway through a game, like just that ability to, to get together quickly. Let's assess what, what are the opposition doing well? What are we doing well? How can we improve all that sort of stuff? Like that, that is another example of it, you know, not just mindlessly pushing on the ability to just assess what's going on here and make an adjustment. Anyhow, so my two books were uh, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and Eighth Habit. I highly recommend uh, anyone out there in podcast land to get your hands on those and, and have a read. All right, Mike. So uh, we've had yours, we've had mine, and now over to Raf. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to make mine as quickly as possible. It's really just one book, and it's I've given this book as a gift to several people because I, I believe in it strongly. Uh, Malin, you are one of the recipients of said book and it's, it's, yeah. And it's tools of Titans by, uh, Tim Ferriss. And it's basically split into three general areas. It's health, wealth, wealth, and uh, fitness. And there's so much, I mean, there's just so much good information. I can't, we can't cover all of it in this podcast, right? In this episode. So I'm just, I'm just going to talk about, I, I really just picked three of the things that really stuck out with me almost immediately. And I've read the book three times back to back. Um, so just to give you a quick premise, if you haven't, if you haven't bought the book, if you haven't read the book, it's absolutely worth whatever you're going to pay for it, whether it's $20 for the hardback or whatever the cover or whatever it is for the e-copy. Um, but basically he, it's, and correct me, it's about 200 people ish that he interviews and it's Titans in their, in their industry. So it's everybody from Rick Rubin, the music producer to Laird Hamilton, the big wave surfer, um, Gabrielle Reese's wife, who's a, you know, savage on the volleyball field, jujitsu practitioners, so on and so forth. And he basically would just ask him not the same questions, but very similar questions where, Hey, what's your morning routine? What advice would you give your, your 20 year old self, you know, things that you learned along the way before you became this Titan in your field. And I would say the, the, the three takeaways that, that I immediately just kind of, I gleaned out of it. Like as soon as I read the book, I was like, I need to start doing that thing in my life. The first one was journaling. Um, there were several people that he had interviewed from Rick Rubin to um, trying to think of the other guy. Uh, anyways, it'll come to me. But they talked about the, the, the positive outcome of journaling every morning, like just paying gratitude, uh, kind of writing down your, your miniature goals, your, you know, what you want to accomplish that day, you know, how much closer is it getting you to, uh, to let's say, you know, five years from now, a year from now. And I started doing that in my own life. And I actually started to see concrete changes. I mean, it was the things that I would think about constantly, I was actually actioning on, 
So just a simple idea of just, and I've spoken about this before, um, but it's, it's super, super effective. The other one was um, actually from Laird Hamilton, and he was very open about his relationship with his wife, uh, Gabby, and how after four years of marriage, they started struggling and they were pretty close to a divorce. And he said, he, uh, basically what he said, and I'm just paraphrasing here, but he said when he realized that he had to change it, he had to change his, his perspective in the marriage in it, and he realized that you know, out of all the research he's done, you know, out of 10,000 couples, the one thing that kept coming up was if the man honestly and truly respects the woman, every single time that marriage is successful. So you have to respect the woman and meaning you have to put her, you know, first and you have to flex and adjust and you start to see positive changes from her, right? Because he says, you know, in the beginning, they were kind of butting heads and that sort of thing. Um, anyways, I, that kind of really resonated with me. I thought, man, that, that makes sense, right? I, I saw some, some parallels there in my own life. Um, the other one that really kind of caught my attention, and, I, and I, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to try to say his name. Just, he's in the book. He's, he he's, owns a company called Strength First, and uh, he's considered the godfather of the kettlebell. And he basically just talks about um, the science behind strength. Now, don't confuse it with size. I'm, this isn't bro science. I'm not, we're not talking, you know, three reps of 10, blah, blah, blah. He's talking about genuine strength. Um, and one of the things that he did was he basically took, I think she was 16 or maybe 15 years at the time. She was, a, she was a track athlete at her high school. And using his methodology, he got her not to grow in size. Obviously, no bro science. He just got her to be stronger. And by the end of his method, which is grease the groove, uh, and you can research that again, we don't have time to discuss it here. He got her to deadlift. I think it was over 400 pounds. Um, using the same methodology, he had his father, who's I think at the time uh, when he was talking about it, I think he was in his mid 70s. Um, he got him to squat twice his body weight uh, doing the back squat. I mean, so these are like con concrete evidence that what he's talking about is, is genuine. Right. And it's and it's not by by complete burnout where you're doing all these ridiculous sets. And, you know, he just he really breaks down the science of 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 strength and how really lactic acid is kind of the enemy. And, and really up until that point, I it I mean, it, my philosophy on strength was just completely sideways. And I finally began to understand that, you know, every time I went to the gym, I'd. It wasn't about coming back sore, you know, having the baby deer legs after squat day or whatever. Um, that's not the goal, you know? So uh, anyways, those are the three that immediately stuck out. But I'm telling you, I read this book back to back three times and I still go back and I still read the book and I'm still gleaning new things from it uh, about wealth, about health. It's kind of changed my, uh, my uh, investments a little bit because um, I've, you know, there, there's a couple of uh, investors that were also interviewed and I tend to follow them now. So. Um, but this this book, it's got to be, I don't know, three to 400 pages. Um, and it's each each individual that he interviews, it's probably four to maybe six pages. Um, and it's pretty amazing. Go ahead, Mike. So I, I really like that piece on strength. So um, a, a good buddy of mine, his name, he's actually with Steelers, Alejandro Villanueva. So everybody knows his background. He was a former Army Ranger, he was a captain, uh, combat veteran. And uh, him and I have talked a lot about, you know, his journey from the military and being in soft to, uh, to the, uh, you know, the NFL, how his body's taken a beating, you know, being a tackle. 
um, versus being in the military. I mean, he's a, for everybody who doesn't know, he's six foot nine, uh, about 300 pounds. Like he's a big dude. He's not fitting in an Afghan doorway. Okay. Um, he had a really good quote when we had a discussion kind of about strength, but it was more of strength and wisdom. So instead of just like Raph saying, throwing up 400 pounds and just, you know, just, yeah, I'm strong because I can lift 400 pounds, especially as you get older, when you start going and injuries and everything starts going like Raph's 43. So he's extremely old. His body is frail. And I mean, his beard is gray. Parts of his beard are gray, which the parts are growing. And, um, but having strength with wisdom is really great. And it's one quote that Al had was, uh, the best ability is availability. So I really like that because what do you bring to a team? What do you bring to the work environment is your knowledge, ultimately your skill experience and your knowledge. And if one of the parts is that physical strength, you got to apply the wisdom and be like, Hey, look, I need to have longevity. I need to stay healthy, but I need to stay available. I can't be hurting myself just to be like, yeah, I lifted 500 pounds. Great. You also just tore your pec off your chest and now you're not helping anybody. So um, I, I kind of like that, you know, how you, how you explain that is like looking at strength in a different way. Well, I, I think a, a, a one of kind of along what you said, there's this dude named uh, Pat McNamara. He's a former Delta Force operator, retired now, and he's got all these pretty funny, kind of cool. He's just, this dude's a like legit badass. Um, one day, Mike, you'll, you'll grow up to be like him. But he, um, <laughs> he has this saying, and it's basically... He has this saying, and he says, you know, it's about fitness, not brokenness. He's like, it's good to, you have to get in every day, and you have to get in a good workout, whether it's stretching or whatever, whatever the focus is, that whatever modality is that day. But he said, don't forget, as soon as you walk through that door, you have to be able to do four things. You have to be able to, you might have to be able to save somebody's life, save your own life, kick somebody's ass, or, you know, do something that requires um, every inch of your body to, to perform. And so you... It doesn't pay anybody any benefit if you're completely just get, like there's nothing left in the gas tank, right? It, and I just, I think about that when I work out. So it's kind of that fine balance and you, everyone has their own individual uh, mark that they're trying to reach, right? But it's good to keep that in the back of your mind as you walk out the door. That, that strength coach, he's, uh, he's Russian, Rav Pavel. I don't know how to say his surname either. Satsuin, Satsuin something like that, Grace the Group. He's, he is unreal. I mean, this is a, uh, a guy who used to, to train the special forces out in Russia and, and transitioned to the West and has been recognized just for the scientific mastery he has and uh, the, the broad range. That book, uh, Tools of Titans, Raph did give it to me and uh, it, when we're out, out here in the Middle East together. And, and I read that thing cover to cover and I would thoroughly recommend anyone pick it up. It is each person in there. It's a summary of an interview that Tim Ferriss has done with him on his podcast. And it's like three to seven page summary of just absolute gold. And you can just, it's as Raph said, it's the healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's like the body, mind, and spirit is the way the breakdown is. You can literally just open that thing, read three to seven pages, get one chapter done and just go. And uh, you'll, you'll get some gold out of that. Great book. All right. So we don't want to hold you guys up too much longer. So books that have impacted us. Mike had uh, The Quiet Strength by uh, Tony Dungy. And... Uh, you know, taking some lessons out of uh, his success with the Pittsburgh Steelers and, and coaching and uh, just some great stuff there about transitioning from sponge to uh, teaching and instructing, getting buy-in from the team and the mission and knowing that this thing's going to end, you're going to be distraught, content or satisfied. 
I had the uh, Seven Habits and the Eight Habit by Stephen R. Covey. With uh, I just highly recommend that book uh, to people out there in, in all areas. And Raf had two of the Titans from Tim Ferriss, which just covered an absolute spread. So uh, let us know what you guys have been reading. Let us know the books that have uh, made a difference to you guys. We have access to these amazing thought leaders who've put their stuff down. And, and I know that there's, uh, I'm always looking for a recommendation. So hit us up. Uh, leave us a review. Send in a like. We have been getting some amazing feedback sort of left, right, and center. It, we've had much more feedback and uh, reach than we ever thought we would, guys. And we really, really appreciate it. We read all the stuff. And, uh, you know, from us to you, uh, all of us here at Not Your Average Operator, we just wish you good luck and uh, stay focused. See you next time. Thank you.